This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Beyond Politics. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, with my co-host, Matt Robeson on WKXLAM and FM. We're podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And if you're listening on podcast, please make sure to subscribe and help keep us growing into 2022. Well, in the aftermath of the insurrection of January 6th of last year, it appeared for a moment that Donald Trump's effort to cast the 2020 election as illegitimate and to overturn the results of that election had come to an end. While 140 Republican members of Congress did vote to overturn the results, literally in the midst of the chaos around them in the Capitol, Republican leaders ultimately seemed to express acceptance of the election and a rejection of the insurrection. It seemed like there was a chance that this was an issue that Americans might generally come together on. But in the years since, unfortunately, the opposite has happened. Americans' attitudes about that day and everything that led up to it shifted almost immediately and fell into familiar partisan patterns. Yeah, shocking in the face of the violence of that day and the revelations about it since then. And in the past two weeks, leading up to the anniversary of the insurrection, a number of polls have returned alarming results about how Americans view the last election and the violence at the Capitol. One of the best of these polls comes from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. The associate director of that poll is Jesse Rhodes. He's a professor of political science, author of three books and numerous scholarly articles. And he's here to tell us all about his findings. Professor Rhodes, welcome to Beyond Politics. Thank you so much. And um, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to join you today. So, Tell us, let's start with what was the major finding in your poll about how Americans view the last election? Does America view Joe Biden as our legitimately elected president? Well, uh, we found that a majority of Americans do indeed uh, perceive Joe Biden as legitimately elected president of the United States. However, as you alluded to, um, those perceptions are really divided on the basis of partisanship and ideology. So while Democrats and liberals overwhelmingly view President Biden as legitimately elected president of the United States, only a small minority of Republicans and Trump supporters in particular view him the same. Indeed, only about one in five Republicans and those who voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 presidential election view uh, uh, President Biden as the legitimately elected president. One in five. That is, you know, I, I think it's just like Paul said, it's, it, these are very familiar partisan patterns, but they're shocking. I, I feel like we can't let go of feeling some sense of shock about this. I let, well, okay, well, let's build on it. So uh, Paul alluded a second ago to the views that you probed in your poll about the insurrection on January 6th. And by the way, on this show, we make no bones about it. 
I know that Republicans, and you're going to get into this. I think you 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 probed this a little bit in the poll. Republicans don't like to say insurrection. Look it up in the dictionary, people. Insurrection. That's what it is. Okay. Uh, January 6th. How do people think about that? What are those partisan differences in how well, we Republicans see, and de- Democrats think about January 6th and the insurrection? We see a real stark divide between Democrats and liberals on the one hand and Republicans and conservatives on the other hand as to how they understand the insurrection. While it's true that um, a plurality of Americans overall correctly view former President Donald Trump as responsible for the insurrection, um, that really divides on the basis of partisan and ideological identities. The Democrats and Republicans, um, or pardon me, Democrats and liberals overwhelmingly view President Trump as responsible for the insurrection, but Republicans and conservatives tend to place the view on, or, or place the blame on almost anyone except for Donald Trump Um, But they tend to focus the blame on the Democratic Party, um, on the Capitol Police, or on Antifa, um, which is really pretty extraordinary in terms of blame deflection away from the most plausible source of blame for the uh, insurrection and onto much less plausible, I think it's uh, kind to say, sources of uh, uh, blame. I, I, thirty percent blame Democrats. I just, <laughs> I, I, I wish our listeners oh could see me pulling uh, out my remaining and rapidly graying hair over that. Let me just follow up for one second. I, I, I was saying a second ago that we do not buy into this whole attempt to rebrand this as it was not an insurrection. Again, Merriam-Webster, Webster's, wh- whatever dictionary is your choice. Look it up, folks. But you you did actually look at this and you find that there are partisan differences in the very words that people use to, to describe the events of January 6th. How did that break out? I, that, I haven't seen research like that before. That was really interesting. That's right. Um, so we looked at um, a wide range of possible descriptions of the events of January 6th. Everything from um, an insurrection or a riot or a coup Um, on the one hand, to much more innocuous terms such as a protest or um, an uprising or a rebellion. And again, we see really stark differences in the way that partisans are thinking about or choose to describe um, this this, uh, event. And so again, Democrats and liberals tend to focus on terms that highlight the violence, um, that highlight Uh, the political nature in terms of the effort to uh, overturn the results of the election. So they're much more likely to gravitate to terms like riot or insurrection or coup. Whereas uh, Republicans and conservatives uh, really prefer to use the term protest, right, which is much more innocuous. And also, I think, uh, reading into the data a little bit um, tends to highlight what they see as the legitimacy of the events of January 6th and um, the the appropriateness in their understanding of the behavior of those who were involved in the events. And there's a whole backstory to this that I hope we can get into and that also points to important features of the data that we found in the poll. Um, Because I don't think that we can understand these polling results without understanding the very coordinated and extensive messaging around the election and the insurrection 
that are contributing to the findings that we that we found in this most recent survey. You know, just to follow up on your last point, um, there was a report today in the Washington Post pointing out the role of Facebook um, in the weeks between the election and the uh, insurrection on January 6th with a, an, a, an exponential increase in postings to Facebook groups, especially uh, devoted um, to 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 this to, to what happened basically on January sixth, with with calling for violence, calling for insurrection, uh, calling um, calling for the execution of public officials. I mean, really, an extraordinary burst of activity. I have not seen um, any reports yet about whether or not there was a coordinated effort behind that Facebook effort. But certainly with Fox News uh, playing the role that Fox News played, with the social media outlets playing the role they played, um, there was a huge upsurge, which had and the way had been paved even prior uh, to the day of the election by uh, the president and his allies and his supporters in terms of the rhetoric and messaging that basically said, if Donald Trump loses, it's an illegitimate uh, election. Was, was your poll able to um, tease out um, uh, any of the, of the reasons uh, or, or, or what was behind this the 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 differences in the way Republicans and Democrats uh, think about the event. So great question, and and I would say that um, the, to to a limited degree, right? So that we we did present, and we do have some findings that look at uh, uh, differences between Fox News viewers and non Fox News viewers. I want to say that um, these these findings should be treated with caution because we don't have a large sample of Fox News viewers for a variety of reasons. Um, but the what we found tends to conform to what what you're suggesting that that people who are selecting into media that are amplifying um, this uh, alternative narrative, so to speak, about the events of January 6th and about the election, right? Um, and Fox News is clearly documented. Um, is a major source of, um, to put it mildly, alternative facts about um, the election, right? So a lot of credence given to um, false and unsubstantiated claims about voter fraud during the election, um, uh, efforts to um, rebrand the events of January 6th as a legitimate protest um, against uh, an illegitimate election. Um, that people who are selecting into exposure to these messages um, indeed are more likely to have views that are skeptical of the election, that um, are more sympathetic to um, those who are involved in the events of January 6th, who are more skeptical of um, prosecutions of participants in the events of January 6th and so forth. And what you're speaking to, um, I think, really gets at the, the big story here, which is twofold. Um, first, that there are um, media, um, an entire media ecosystem, which has been devoted to casting doubt on 
legitimacy of, of the 2020 presidential election, and also to um, reframing the insurrection of January 6th as something that was innocuous and harmless and a form of legitimate protest. And um, secondly, that um, social media companies and Facebook being predominant among those um, have had a real problem, right? That they have um, allowed um, false messaging around the 2020 presidential election to flourish, um, right? And so there was really good um, whistleblower testimony in Congress by Francis Hogan um, that is pointing directly to evidence of this, that this was, this was a problem at Facebook. Um, it was known at Facebook and, and yet little was done during this period to deal with this serious problem. And so when we have um, this environment that is providing um, false and unsubstantiated messaging um, that it is going to have an influence on how people perceive um, political events in this country and um, how they think that we should be addressing those events as well. And we see this playing out in, in really serious and potentially damaging ways with respect to um, the, the 2020 election and also um, the response to the events of January 6th. You know, I, I want to just kind of feed back to you what you were just saying, because I think it's a really, really critical point. And Paul and I did a show last week where we kind of gave out our end of year awards. And the award that Paul gave for sort of the biggest news story of the year was the fact that so few, especially younger people, are getting their news and information from TV at all anymore. They're getting it from social media. And Paul, I think, very correctly observed that in the long run, that is the thing most likely to fundamentally alter our society and our democracy. And I, I really see the fingerprints of that point all over what you're saying. And look no further. You know, you were, you were kind of drawing to the root causes in the post-election period in the run-up to January 6th. But we saw some polling out of the Washington Post that I think lines up with admittedly your small sample survey in the UMass poll that finds that Republicans who watch Fox News are 15 points more likely to say that the rioters, the insurrectionists were quote, mostly peaceful. Right. Non-Fox News watching Republicans, 16 points more likely to say that they were mostly violent. And so there is the proof right in the pudding that all of these media filter bubbles that we inhabit matter. People pay attention to their sources of information. And when you start to look across the media landscape and you realize just how influential right-wing media is, there are 1,500 conservative radio stations across the country. And at least 15 million Americans every week turn, tune into one of the top 15 talk radio programs, which are all hard right-wing programs. And if you, if you want to look at kind of legacy cable media Fox News completely dominates. This past August, 94 of the top 100 most watched cable telecasts were on Fox. And you just go down the line, down the line, and that's before you even get to social media. Dan Bonsignano, however you pronounce that guy's name, the right-wing podcaster who um, is an idiot, but look, I mean, his podcast is a little bit bigger than ours. Whatever, his Facebook page engagement is more than the New York Times, Washington Post, and CNN combined. So you look at all of this, and it just it just goes right back to your point, Jesse, which is 
these things matter. The, the people's sources of information are, are incredibly influential. We can't ignore that part of the equation. And both pre and post January 6th, you see the results right in your polling and in the other polling that's that's out there. That's right. And, and actually, there's, there's um, in recent years, been a really uh, interesting series of articles that have been published in political science and related disciplines um, looking directly at how um, messaging, including false messaging from um, former President Trump and conservative media sources um, influence um, Americans' perceptions of the integrity of elections, their perceptions of voter fraud, their beliefs about vote rigging, and um, their attitudes toward um, democracy. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of work by um, Brendan Nyhan at um, Dartmouth University and colleagues. Um, Our and previous other... guest on this show, and, and we interviewed him about that research. Yes, and so, right, so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here, but it, it, it's very clear, and this is experimental research, you know, done with the high standards, um, and, and it's very clear in suggesting the people who are exposed to these messages despite the fact that typically they're selecting into these messages, right? So people who, who um, are getting messages from former President Trump or who are getting messages from Tucker Carlson tonight or so forth, they tend to be sympathetic to those messages anyway. But even so, even accounting for the fact that people are selecting into those media venues, they are nonetheless still affected by um, the messages that they are receiving. And so this is really worrisome, right? Um, in, in democracy, one of the, the really um, fundamental principles of democracy is that we have uh, uh, very extensive rights of freedom of speech and that we want media to proliferate and we want um, differences of opinion to proliferate. Um, however, um, a, a challenge, and this is a really fundamental challenge in democracies is that um, this freedom um, and this multiplicity of views is something that can be taken advantage of. And when people um, choose to uh, strategically and intentionally propagate uh, false information, including demonstrably false information, um, it can have corrosive effects on uh, people's perceptions of the institutions that are needed for democracy to function. Um, in order for democracy to function, people have to accept the legitimacy of uh, election winners. Um, and we have a real problem right now where uh, uh, political candidates and um, media companies are in many cases knowingly propagating false information about um, the uh, election uh, in order to, um, to benefit and uh, this, this does indeed demonstrably corrode um, people's belief in the integrity of the election and their willingness to accept election outcomes. And uh, this is really problematic for our democracy. Well, look, I, um, the good news this week as we record this and you know, obviously these shows, people listen to them. It turns out we, we can see in our own data, people listen to these for months afterwards. So um, I hope people, maybe you're listening to this in the Beyond Politics podcast feed months after we record this, but here's a little time capsule for you. This is the week where Marjorie Taylor Greene was banned permanently from Twitter. So let's all raise a virtual set of uh, uh, jazz hands for that. 
and uh, celebrate the fact that, hey, look, I'm about to record a show on the Great Ideas podcast where we talk about uh, revolutionary technology in launching people into space. Maybe that's the next step. Maybe we could actually get rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene, verfer off to another planet. One of the things that you point out in the release of your poll is that Americans' attitudes very quickly settled into this, this very partisan pattern, and they really haven't budged. It seems like maybe they've gotten a tad worse, a tad more divided, a tad more infected by unreality. But in general, it's like it's like a jello mold. It's like you, you put it in the fridge to set and it got set. Is that is that right? And has nothing gotten better, even in the face of revelations coming out of the January 6th investigatory committee that have found that, yeah, the Fox News hosts and Donald Trump's own family knew how bad this insurrection was. They knew it was an insurrection. They knew that this was a disaster and they were begging Donald Trump to do something about it. And he refused. Hey, nothing is shaking Americans' attitudes about this. I think that that, that is right. And, and so we did poll on Americans' perceptions of the insurrection back in April of 2021. And we very intentionally um, repeated verbatim several of those questions again in November because we wanted to um, investigate whether uh, increased information about the insurrection, particularly the work of the January 6th committee was having any influence. And indeed, to your point, we found that for the most part, Americans' attitudes seem to have changed very little, if at all, in the intervening period. Um, and this is suggestive of um, just how much um, events and perceptions of events that have political valence have been sucked into this extreme partisan and ideological polarization. And also, I, I do want to say, because I think it would be remiss not to mention this, but racial polarization um, as well, um, and how uh, any, any event that has a political significance now is interpreted by Americans in light of their partisanship and their ideology and also their, their racial attitudes. And so, um, what that means is that once an event has become uh, polarized, that information that emerges um, that could have implications for how we understand that event is not considered objectively, but instead is shaped very much by our predispositions. And it's integrated into our understandings based on whether it, it helps our party, our party side or our ideological side or it harms it. And so um, Democrats have been really interested in tune to and are just really working over each and every new revelation that is leaked by the January 6th committee. Um, and that's reinforcing their perceptions of the events of January 6th as an insurrection and a rebellion against the legitimate government of the United States in an effort to um, overturn a legitimate election. Whereas Republicans are interpreting that in light of their understanding of the election as illegitimate and their perception of the um, January 6th insurrection as, in their view, a legitimate response to an illegitimate election. And so the revelations, for example, of the January 6th commission are discounted um, because they don't fit into that partisan story or they're reinterpreted as machinations by the Democrats um, to try to undermine President Trump 
um, or efforts by an illegitimate committee because it wasn't, and, and we see this rhetoric, right, by some Republicans that it wasn't constitutionally or legitimately um, constituted because it didn't include all of the Republicans that the um, Republican Party leadership in the House wanted on the committee. And so events that are occurring since January 6th are being interpreted in light of these predispositions and contrary information just bounces off people and is not integrated in an objective way. And that's a real difficulty and a, and a real challenge in democracies. Um, and a lesson that is really highlighted by the insurrection is that people don't process information um, in an abstract or uh, objective or reasoned way. They always process information based on how that information relates to their pre-existing identities. And they really play up information that reinforces and reaffirms and validates their identities. And they reject information that casts doubt on or is critical of those identities. You know, I'm a perfect example of that. I mean, as a former uh, United States congressman and a Democrat, um, having served in the House and having gone to work, uh, in the place that was the subject of the insurrection. I mean, that was my office for a considerable period of time. I have, I have a deep and abiding connection. So it may be a little unfair, but my predisposition when I watched on television in speechless horror and shock as the violence um, overtook the Capitol Police, as windows and doors were smashed, as the American flag was used as a weapon to harm uh, police, as my colleagues, my former colleagues, were rushed to safety or hid uh, in, the, in, the, in the balcony for fear of their lives. Um, as this event unfolded, um, the questions I, I had why isn't the president saying anything? Why hasn't the National Guard been deployed? Why didn't anybody pay attention um, to this more, more closely? This can't go on without the president intervening and doing something. My immediate assumption at the time was that, of course, he knew about it. And of course, he'd been told and that he was purposely not uh, taking any action to stop this. And moreover, in my suspicious mind. Moreover, he had probably directed both the Defense Department and the National Guard not to uh, take any supportive action. Now, that comes from clearly my own experience and my own, uh, my own bias, which was only amplified in the immediate uh, aftermath of the, of the violence and insurrection when I heard from uh, officials, including, as I recall, the governor of Maryland, um, uh, the, about the panicked calls that had been made to officials to try to get support for additional security to help this. So at, at least by January 7th, my views of, of, of what had happened and what the, the failures or purposeful, um, purposeful acts uh, were had, had, was, was pretty solid. Now, it's that's an easy one for me, former Democratic congressman. Of course, you, I, I, I would go there. 
All I can tell you is that the evidence that I've heard from the January 6th committee only completely confirms my, my sense of it. And when you go back and watch the footage, when you see the footage, I ask myself, how can anybody deny what this was? How is it possible to come to some conclusion that this was merely a protest, a tourist event? Um, it is an example of the alternative universes, the 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 different realities uh, that seem that we seem to inhabit as Americans. It's cause it's kind of like a cosmological event where we've gone. There's a black hole, and on the other side of the black hole, there's a in in real time there's an alternative reality, and there's a bunch of people who who live there. They happen to be a pretty large number of Americans. Uh, and I don't mean to, to digress in a rant, but it is an example of the hardening of views um, that that happens. Um, and frankly, I don't watch much Fox News. I mean, All right. well, can I but can I pivot off that? Because I think that there's a natural question that comes out of that that relates back to the poll. So everything Paul was just saying about how how baffling it is, I think, to Democrats to say, look, this is on video, right? Like, you know, we, we have, you can look for yourself and yet Republicans do seem to inhabit this alternative reality. You, you cited Kellyanne Conway before, alternative facts, wonderful euphemism. So you, you had to, to me, to my eyes, there were two really shocking findings in your poll, the UMass poll. One was that 62% of Republicans said that Former President Mike Pence should have used his role that day in certifying the electoral vote to challenge Joe Biden's victory as the protesters were chanting for his execution. So uh, let me just let me say five out of every eight Republicans are so far in this alternative universe that Paul just just laid out that they that that's where they're at. They think Mike Pence protesters are there. Protesters insurrectionists are there chanting for you to be hung and you should overturn a U.S. election to put Donald Trump in charge. And here's number two, though. You then go on in the poll to say that looking forward to the 2022 midterm elections, 55% of Republicans say that a candidate questioning the legitimacy of Biden's victory would be more likely to receive their vote, more likely to receive their vote. So Paul, I'm, I'm kind of taking your bafflement and turning it into further bafflement. And I'm hoping that our expert scholar here, Dr. Rhodes, can, can sort of navigate this. I mean, from your professional expertise, did those findings leap out to you? Are those, are, are those sort of the, the pieces of evidence of just how far reality has diverged here? Or I, I don't know, did, did it not surprise you at all? Did that, did that, did that sort of, did you look at that and sort of say, yep, that computes? Well, I think there are a couple of really important points here that we want to suss out. And so the first one that I think is really important um, to, to, for us all to keep in mind is that while it is true on the one hand that all partisans, and this goes for Democrats as well as Republicans, tend to use motivated reasoning in understanding politics, they tend to try to integrate facts that reinforce their own existing beliefs and reject facts that, that don't. Um, that, that is true across the political spectrum. 
However, we also have a responsibility and an obligation to try to approach um, a shared understanding of reality and to try to uh, integrate facts in a less unbiased way. And so your conversation earlier um, about uh, the insurrection and Paul, your discussion of um, Donald Trump's behavior during the insurrection, right? We do have information coming about, out about what was going on within the White House um, and the West Wing um, while the protests were ongoing, right? So the January 6th Commission has released information about text messages that Mark Meadows received from um, Fox media personalities asking him to request the president to intervene in some way to stop the violence and to calm people down, right? So there was awareness um, among um, conservative elites, media personalities that the violence was, and this is a almost verbatim quote, not good for, for the president um, or the former president and that he should take steps to intervene and to stop the violence. Way um, to put America, priorities first, right? Right, for, right. Forget and, America and say, this isn't good for Trump. Oh, right. okay. And, and also, you know, there's recent reporting that um, firsthand accounts from within the White House that Ivanka Trump uh, made efforts to induce um, former President Trump to intervene um, and, and he, he declined to do so. Right. And so these are, to the best of our knowledge, this is substantiated information. Obviously, more information will come out. But um, setting aside our priors, we do have to try to integrate that information in a less unbiased way. And that does seem to conform to um, this understanding that uh, uh, there were efforts to get President Trump to intervene. And as far as we know so far, he, he declined to do so until much later and, and much of the violence had already occurred. Um, so to, to the second point, um, Republicans' understandings of what should Mike Pence have done um, and whether he should have used his power to try to um, decline to certify the vote and, and how this will affect Republicans voting in 2022. I think a second real important difficulty and challenge for democracy is that uh, people are really bad at maintaining support for abstract principles about democracy when that conflicts with their short-term partisan interest. And so um, when you see those conflicts, people are going to tend to um, lean towards um, their short-term partisan advantage at the expense of a more general and abstract uh, uh, notion of uh, democracy, right? And we see this in, um, uh, the, the response to the 2020 election results, right? Is there strong evidence that um, there was widespread voter fraud that somehow gave Joe Biden the presidential victory in an illegitimate fashion? No, there is not, right? There, there is not evidence of widespread voter fraud or other election chicanery. Um, and however, uh, people who are on the side that lost the election have strong <laughs> Uh, emotional uh, and and psychological needs to explain the loss, and one easy way to do that is to uh, chalk it up to fraud or some other kinds of malfeasance. So, um, so, 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 in in your poll, you also took a look at 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 some of these more general views on voting, election security, and fraud. What what you've just been saying 
suggests and 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 for my listeners I, this is like i'm using both hands to scratch my head suggests that americans don't understand that elections in this country are legitimate and that voter fraud is extremely rare it it doesn't happen it 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 doesn't occur do they get that or are they so biased? Are they so bought in to the other side of the black hole alternative universe that Fox and social media would have them live in that they're buying the voter fraud line, that, that, that they buy it hook, line and sinker because it comports with their partisan view of things. And while they could, they could probably be... I mean, what you're saying is they could be reading or they could even be they could be reading some, the statistics that said out of 12 million votes, we found one person who cast a mistaken ballot and they'd still buy into voter fraud. Is that what your poll is telling us? So I, I think the short term answer is yes. The, the, I want to unpack that, however. Um, so it, it is true, you know, to, to the studies that we've been talking about earlier, um, again, the great work by Brendan Nyhan and his colleagues, um, that the media environment makes a huge difference, that people tend to follow their political and media leaders in forming opinions about things that they can't experience firsthand, right? So that ordinary Americans are not observing voter fraud and they're not not observing voter fraud. How do they come up with attitudes about whether voter fraud exists? Well, to an important degree, they base it on what their political and media elites are telling them. And what I mean by that is Democrats listen to Democrats and liberals, Republicans tend to listen to Republicans and conservatives. So that's an important first step. Um, a second step is that in understanding people's perceptions of voter fraud, in particular understanding the perceptions of um, those who believe that voter fraud is prominent, we can't neglect a much broader story about race, immigration, and ethnicity in the United States. So there's really good research um, by David Wilson, Lana Atkinson, um, Matt Barreto, um, and others that, uh, Adriano Udani and others, that shows that people's perceptions of the prevalence of voter fraud are really closely related to their attitudes towards people of color and their attitudes towards immigrants. And those that have less charitable um, attitudes towards people of color, those who have less charitable attitudes towards immigrants, that is those who have more xenophobic attitudes are also more likely to perceive that voter fraud is more prevalent and to be more supportive of measures that make voting more difficult in the name of maintaining electoral integrity. And this is something that partly reflects um, rhetoric that is going on right now, right? So um, Donald Trump during his presidency, um, in both of his presidential campaigns, linked claims about voter fraud to claims about undocumented immigration, to claims about electoral malfeasance in cities that are uh, have very significant shares of non-white people. Um, and so there's a very contemporary politics that racializes claims of voter fraud. And so that resonates with people who have less charitable attitudes, who frankly have racist or white supremacist views, um, and leads them to perceive um, that fraud is more prevalent. The bigger story, though, is the role of race and racial conflict in American elections, right? So 
this country has a very long and very fraught history of racialized politics surrounding access to the ballot um, and around the race, uh, around the politics of race in elections. And so what we're seeing- and you literally today, wrote the book on that. Yeah, and so th thank you. <laughs> but yeah, what we're seeing today For is, people is who are really... listening, Professor Rhodes wrote a book called Ballot Block, The Political Erosion of the Voting Rights Act. Th thank you so much. Um, but, but, but I think the key point is that what we're seeing today is just the most recent incidence of a very long-term trend that goes all the way back to our nation's history and reflects anxiety, particularly among whites, about the incorporation of people of color into full peoplehood, um, full consideration as American citizens, and full participation in the rights of American democracy. And this has been a frequent subtext and frankly, um, just text in um, Republican Party politics um, particularly during the era of Donald Trump, right? And we see this not just in Trump himself, but also in some of his most prominent media acolytes, right? So Tucker Carlson in particular, um, who has uh, highlighted, frankly, neo-Nazi and white supremacist claims about the replacement of white people by people of color, um, allegedly sponsored by the Democrats and so forth. And so when these kinds of claims circulate and when they resonate with very long-standing and deeply held racialized beliefs, um, they are going to manifest in uh, perceptions of fraud that are not closely linked to what we know about empirical reality. Right. So the bottom line is it goes back to your earlier point. People have a pre-existing way that they, that they view the world. And motivated reasoning is a hell of a drug. And so if you're if you're the type of person who's predisposed with a certain set of attitudes about the world and about the role of race and, and who deserves to be voting and, and maybe who doesn't, then you're going to be just a wide open target for this kind of thing. And we see it in the Republican Party emphasis on voting rights. Is there a major takeaway? I mean, you, you literally titled your book the political erosion of the Voting Rights Act. How how emergency is this? I mean, just what's your sense of it? I mean, is this is this a real crisis? I, I think it's extraordinarily important. Um, we are seeing efforts around the country today in states that are uh, have unified control um, by the Republican Party. Efforts to make um, voting more difficult. Efforts to increase the state legislature's control over election administration and the certification of state votes um, for federal elections. And what that means is that there's the possibility of the engineering of electorates and the engineering of election outcomes to suit partisan ends. And if that occurs, that is a real threat to the substantive practice of democracy, that you can have elections in those circumstances without any meaningful significance because parties can engineer the outcomes. And so the, um, unfortunately, historically, only the federal government has had the wherewithal and the means to intervene um, to ensure that elections are equally open to people without regard to race or ethnicity, and also to ensure that um, votes are counted fairly and equitably. Professor Jesse Rhodes of the University of Massachusetts Amherst, Professor of Political Science and Associate Director of the UMass Poll. Thanks so much for being on Beyond Politics. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure.